Kovacic will slot it home. Oh. And he does so. Kovacic has turned into the empty net. His promotion to Doncaster Rovers. Can you believe what has happened in this last minute? Now then, it's week six of the UK's football list lockdown. No one knows what day it is anymore. That forgotten bag of plain flour that was lurking in the back of the kitchen cupboard is now the most valuable thing you own. And Steve Brooker is expecting to be fit and raring to go any day now. Um, anyway, to help you get away from all this, we're here with episode 17 of Podular Stand, a Doncaster Overs podcast from Popular Stand Fanzine. Uh, and this month, we're going back to happier times, times when football was still a thing, played outdoors with an actual ball. Uh, we're revisiting April 2013 and that game at Griffin Park. My name is, as ever, Glenn Wilson, and joining me on this nostalgia trip, suitably social distanced at opposite ends of London, our editor of the London Economic, Jack P. Uh, now then. Not Jack. And also with us once again is freelance writer and hedgehog aficionado, James McMahon. Hedgehogs? Were you trying to palm off an article about hedgehogs last, yesterday? Yeah, okay. Yeah, no, it's, it's fine. I like, I like hedgehogs. I, actually, I wrote about hedgehogs last month, actually, so you are quite behind. Well, you know, news, news is travelling slower in these times. I wrote an article about uh, what what Sonic the Hedgehog gets right about real hedgehogs. Ah. If anyone is thinking who to nominate for a Pulitzer. Is, is that the bottom of the, the news barrel, or, or do we still have further to go? Uh, well, I mean, the answer is not very much, but probably more, <laughs> probably more than you think, actually. Yeah, that's the worrying thing. Anyway, hedgehogs aside, um, so for any of those, uh, any of you out there who, I don't know, we might have people listening who don't know what game we're talking about, I, I sincerely doubt it, but if you were in a coma in uh, 2013, um, the podcast will be, we're focusing on the, the final game of the 2012-2013 League One season, third place Brentford against second place Doncaster Rovers at Griffin Park. Hold on, so 4,050 minutes of League One football for each team, but it's all come down to this, one game. It's winner takes all, say that, a draw will do for overs, but we reckon both teams are going to go for the win from the off. And there is the off as both Brentford get the game underway. Now, all three of us uh, had different experiences of that game. Perhaps we can, we can start by saying where we were uh, and, and how we were following the game and, and perhaps what we were feeling going into such a big game. James, I'm going to start with you because Jack's story intrigues me. Uh, yeah, so I, uh, I was there. I was on the bottom tier. Uh, I managed to get a ticket off someone on Twitter. I don't even think he charged me for it. Who was this? We need to make a note of this person. For I can't for the I can't for the like. I mean, you know, like you know, I've got a few followers on Twitter. So if you sort of do a shout out for something, yeah, it's going to a fair, it's got a fair reach. But I I can't actually remember who the guy was, and I feel really bad about that because he was really nice and funny, and you know, he followed me for ages. He was just he was just a Rose fan who. Uh, he went from London, he was down in London, and I met up with him, uh, I remember meeting up with him on one of the sides of the ground that wasn't where he went in, which is a bit weird, but yeah, no, I, I, that's, so yeah, I was there, and um, it was such a weird, there have been, you know, I wasn't at, um, I wasn't at Cardiff, for example, you know, I wasn't at, I wasn't at Stoke, and like, they're things that really, like, irk me, you know, like, and I uh, and I remember, but I remember thinking I was really like invested in Rovers that season, you know. Not that you know, not that really a season passes when I'm not, but like there's definitely been seasons where I've been a bit more casual about it. But that season, I you know, I, I loved the team like all the way through, and there was just something where I was like, I've got to be there. 
And I would have really gone, you know, I would have would have emptied my bank account to be there, but it actually ended up being rather easy. I, I assumed you'd got your ticket off a player, actually. I was surprised it was, a, it was another fan. I don't know. No, no, not all. I mean, I actually remember you. I remember you being like, oh, you're not going to get a ticket, mate. And I remember being like, I am. Like, I just knew, you know, like. But I went on my own. I actually think the on the in the write-up in When Saturday Comes, there's a picture of my back, basically, because uh, I'm stood having a cigarette in the doorway uh, of like the terrace in, uh, and I've got a rubber shirt on. I've got like uh, some satchel, and I look thoroughly miserable because it was when we just given the penalty away. Because I remember, I mean, I went, I'm sure we'll get there, you know, but like. It was a thoroughly miserable game, really. It was such an edgy, nervous... I mean, I didn't even feel like we turned up, really. It was yeah. just, how are we going to hang in here? James, you were on the terrace, the, the lower... Well, it was the only terrace, wasn't it? The, the lower section of that, that away stand, in among with... I think it was 1,800 away fans there on that day across those two tiers. Jack? Yeah, it was certainly would never have been intriguing had it not been for you know panning out as it did really so so no i mean i think that, that, that it's good that i'm going to be here and give it an insight into someone who sort of went through that game without being there i was i was in belfast on a lad's jollies with at least one of my brothers so there's at least two doncaster fans in belfast that weekend and it was a it was a utterly bizarre perplexing a bit of confounding sort of end to it which which i'll sort of i mean I, I can take you through but it was picked up on commentary um you know just the fact that you you noted when they came out for the second half that they'd come out what was it seven minutes late or something like that it was about eight or, or nine minutes past four uh, so here we go then things about to get back underway for the second half here at griffin park no changes for either team at the break and it'll be Rovers that kick off in the green shirts going towards the Rovers fans behind the goal. And it's still here at the afternoon. It's still uh, Brentford nil, Rovers nil. And as we say, if that carries on and things hold out like that, that's to our benefit, of course. Um, so, yeah, it's a late kick over for the second half. I make it about eight minutes past four when we've kicked off this game. So uh, you're probably going to be feeling quite tense right the way through to five o'clock. And so, obviously, as a, as a consequence, the, the real action happened sort of as a lot of games were finishing. And I'm sort of, you know, sat in this beer, in this pub, having, having, you know, having had a few beers, watching this all sort of come through. And, and all we saw in this pub was penalty to Brentford. And this game's getting sort of a bit of attention now. So, all the other games are finished. Penalty to, to Brentford. Here's the repercussions. Here's how it's all going to pan out. And then... The next thing we see is you flash back and it's 1-0 Doncaster. So we're saying they've got it wrong. That's the first thing that comes to your head. But, but in reality, while we're trying to get some clarity, I don't know if you've seen that scene from The Hangover where they're in the back of a police car. That's, um, they've just come out of the chapel and they've got a baby next to them and um, you know they're being shot at and, and, and one of the guys just goes, what the Scunthorpe. is going on? And we all simultaneously probably six or seven of us, are all just looking at each other, going, what the Scunthorpe. is going on? And it was just perplexing. You wedged there to, to where I was. I was wedged into a very small commentary box at Griffin Park in the press seats. I think this was only about my fourth or fifth game doing commentary. I was trying to work it out earlier, but it, what, I'd not done many. I'd only started doing it January that year. 
And most games are obviously League One, sort of, yeah, they weren't big games. So most press boxes you go to in League One, they're pretty spacious for their needs. You know, there's room to spread out because there's generally just each club's media plus local newspaper guy, plus maybe one person from a national website or whatever, and that's it. So there's normally lots of room. Brentford, everyone was there. So local press as per usual, but then suddenly all the nationals press were there as well. So there wasn't a spare seat in the press box. And my seat was the end of a row against a small barrier that then the home fans were the other side of. So I had to get in first. And it's quite an old stand at Brentford. It's for those with the, you fold the desk up to get in and then fold the desk down and put your equipment on top. So once you're in, you're in. So I was in my seat for an hour, over an hour before kickoff. And I stayed in that seat for three and a half hours in total without being able to move or go anywhere because I couldn't because the rest of the, the press box had wedged me in. I know I'd felt in the morning, and it, it was something you mentioned, James, a second ago, about really connecting with that, that team at that season. I know the previous season with the experiment and everything that had gone on, I probably felt the most distance I'd felt from Rovers in supporting them. And I've kind of st- I'd definitely stopped going to matches. That season, that 2012-13 season, I, I just moved down south, but I really started connecting with that team and, you know, going to getting back into the habit of going to games and really feeling a bond with the players and what the team was about. I think I met you about February that year, didn't I, James? And we, yeah, it wasn't that long. I think that, that that's a, it's a really important point as well because the, the, the sort of the build-up to that climax started in earnest, probably in January, you could argue, when sort of, you know, we'd just lost the manager. And even though we'd done so well that season and also we'd sort of overcome adversity, the, the adversity that was the previous season, we'd, you know, we'd, we'd started playing well. But then when you lost the manager, you sort of had a feeling, I did at least, at least that there's certainly the threat of the wheels coming off. And I think that actually the sort of latter half of the season, how we got there, you know, months worth of how we got there, not 90 minutes worth of how we got there, is, is, is a really important context to all of this, really. Yeah, we, yeah, no, totally, totally. We didn't have a big squad. We had, we had a strong sort of like... Dean Saunders did well. I'll credit Dean Saunders. He did well for building a, a strong... Sort of, I think I've touched on this before on podcast, but he, he built like a strong 11 or 12 that could compete in League One, maybe 13, 14. And I think we were quite lucky with injuries that season. And then when we did lose players, Brian mm-hmm. came in, did a very good job of bringing players in to fill those gaps. You think on that day at Brentford, we had two loanees in the centre of midfield starting the day, players that, that Flynn had brought in, in Dean Furman and John Munstrom, which is you know, a very crucial area of the, of the pitch to have two sort of, well, one very inexperienced player and one player who's new to his teammates. It was quite, quite impressive, really. But yeah, we, James, we'll go back to what you said. The game itself then, you were saying it was a, a poor game or a tetchy game, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I just remember just thinking it was one of those games that, um, you know, it's just one of those games that if I'd taken someone, I mean, I don't know, I would have gotten a ticket, but if I'd taken someone who wasn't a Rose fan, I would have felt quite apologetic. And there wasn't a great amount of pleasure to be had. It was just... It was just, can we grind this out? And it felt like they were trying to grind it out as well. Like, there wasn't, you know, it wasn't a kind of, oh, you know, we'll score one more than you. It was, I felt like we were playing for a draw. 
And I remember there was a flare lobbed on after about 20 minutes because it was around that time where Rovers fans just went crazy on flares. It did feel like it did feel like that was our thing for a while. I don't know. I mean, the, the weird thing about flares is it's like having just watched uh, the Italian ninety documentary, the Italian ninety documentary that's just landed on Amazon Prime alongside a whole load of other World Cup documentaries. Have we check them out yet? Too busy trying to get you on. Yeah, fair enough. They're amazing anyway. But like having just watched like a load of, you know, kind of continental football, you know, flares are amazing. Unfortunately, they kind of burn people's faces off. But like, I was really into the fact that it was our, our thing for a while. And I remember when the flare went on the pitch, I remember just being like, oh, let it burn. Let this burn. Like, t- t- take your time. You know, and then obviously the guy runs on with a sand bucket and, you know, gets rid of it fairly quickly but I was just like anything that would drag this out but there just wasn't really much pleasure really there for you know for me and I remember like when I was stood at the back it was more like oh you know we've kind of done that and I'm ready to go and then you know then obviously the then obviously the penalty happens but there there wasn't you know there wasn't much in the way of pleasure for the people that were there I don't know if you saw whether anybody did walk out because I'd love to speak to those people yeah, I mean, you presume there would be, wouldn't you? Because well, cause you think, especially as you say, given the sort of game that it was, maybe at 90 minutes, I guess everything was hanging on it still, but you sort of say, you know what, I could be the first one in the pub here. I just can't go. <laughs> I mean, I, w- I went to Griffin Park probably, well, it was this year. It was one of the last games I saw before lockdown, but I went because uh, I just really wanted to go back and obviously this this was their last season, you know. And it totally reminded me just how far away I live from Griffin Park. Like, I mean, it, it was like, you know, it was like going to, a, like, properly going to an away game, you know? And I think that was probably on my mind. And I, I was a bit like, oh, well, you know, that was that. But we're up now, you know, whatever. Oh, what's going on here then? Oh, my God, what's going on here then? It wasn't one for the neutral until... I watched it back this, this last week, and it's... It's a difficult watch for me because it means I've got to listen to myself for 90 odd minutes, which is a weird experience, which is why I've not really watched anything back of it since. But I was struck by just how how much the ball was in the air and just like, it's just so many just like heading back and forward or intercepted passes or... You mentioned about Rovers sort of maybe playing for a draw. I think, I think looking at it, but I think Brian Flynn got his tactics spot on because a draw would have done Rovers. And it's very clear that his his idea was a complete low risk strategy, so it was get the ball forward as quick and as early as possible, get it out of our half, get it into their half, maybe even their third. And if we're going to play any football at all, we play it in their third. But before that, we just get the ball to that area of the pitch as quick as possible. You know, we didn't really send Jones and McComb up for set pieces or anything like that, like we had done all season. It was completely like low risk. Plus, you've got the master of eking time out of a situation in Neil Sullivan. Yeah, just a bit of a, a bit of noise in the background is for Neil Sullivan taking his, his, his sweet time over the, over the free kick, and that's what the Brentford fans are getting annoyed at. I think, I would imagine Neil Sullivan will do that a few more times as this afternoon goes on. Sullivan with the ball at his feet is in absolutely no rush to get things moving again as he sort of uh, dribbles across his goal. I think eventually Wright Phillips comes out of the pack to close him down. Sullivan waits, gathers, and will now look to... Uh, Look to go long. Instead, there's time for Quinn to get onto it and nod back to, uh, to Neil Sullivan, who again will take his time about getting the ball back in his hands. As uh, Sullivan uh, agonises over which side take his goal kick, much to the annoyance of the uh, Brentford fans here. 
And that'll be a free kick to Sullivan as uh, Mark Oliver tells Sullivan to uh, perhaps get on with things a little quicker going forward. Sullivan lets it run out for the goal <laughs> kick. Uh, shape to uh, try and keep that in play, I think, Sullivan. And then uh, I think has played on the 43 years of age element to uh, clumsily miss it and get things realigned for a goal kick. Well, Sullivan gets the ball back and gets ready to, uh, to take this goal kick. Just uh, Michael Oliver standing on the edge of the box lurking. You get the feeling that Michael Oliver has decided that he is going to book Neil Sullivan for time wasting at some point. Eventually he will do, yeah. yeah. It's now just a matter of as and when that happens, I think. Fans are just complaining that Neil Sullivan's taking his time over this goal kick, but Neil Sullivan's actually handing one of the many objects that have currently been thrown at him by Brentford fans to the steward, and that's why he's taking his time. I think Sullivan just winds the crowd up again by moving the ball, but yeah, overs. That's, uh, I think that's trick number 17 from the Neil Sullivan playbook of, uh, of killing time before a restart. Sullivan uh, could do with some treatment here, but the referee doesn't seem in any rush. I think it'd be can case of the boy who's cried wolf here for Sullivan because he's uh, milked that much time. The referee doesn't seem to want to believe that he's actually picked up or not from Donaldson. Can I just say, and I, I don't know whether I'm, I'm coming in too soon here, but like having watched it back, it makes Trotter's decision to grab the ball even more perplexing to me. I cannot understand how he got subbed, subbed on 70 something minutes, right? Mm -hmm. And then to have, so there's not one moment where he came close to scoring. He didn't seem like he was being like a stand-up player. I know he got a goal in the game prior. However, other than that, a substitute coming on and grabbing the ball from the penalty taker, even when he had, did he win the penalty? He didn't win the penalty, did he? No, it was, um, I think it was Donaldson who won the penalty. I, through that game, I watched it back a few times, probably the you know, 1,000 and 1,000 and sixth time that I've watched it um, and I, I couldn't for the life of me even fathom wh why he had the audacity to grab the ball there was nothing that sort of there was no there's no indicators there yeah. <laughs> as to why he might do it other than being a cocky 20 year old or whatever he was at the time it's, it's made even weirder by the fact that their regular penalty taker was their captain as well so he, he gets subbed on at 70-something minutes, hasn't made any sort of noticeable contribution to the game, hasn't won the penalty, and he takes the ball out of the captain and penalty taker's um, uh, hands. It's going to be Trotter who puts the ball down. Still arguing over who's going to take this, Brentford. O'Connor's coming in to tell us, oh, Donaldson. Uh, Donaldson's sulking and looking to the sideline. Rossler's giving instructions. They're all arguing, but it's Trotter who's lined up to take it, and Sullivan stands on his line. So Trotter puts it down to take it left-footed. That is perplexing to me. You have got um, MLS's greatest ever player on the pitch as well. <laughs> Bradley Wright Phillips. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did he, did he go to MLS after that? Well, he was, a, he was a Brentford alone. I don't know whether he's... Would you like me to pull up Wikipedia? If you want. I suppose we've got that, that luxury, haven't we, while we're all <laughs> actually on a computer. Yeah, on, a, on the subject of Wright Phillips, actually... Um, there was the moment in the second half, which I'd completely forgotten about, where he got booked for a dive in the penalty area. Now, at the time, uh, here's another thing that I'd forgotten about, actually. Is the... He was, he was uh, on, loan at, on loan from Charlton, by the way. I was on loan from Charlton. Thanks, James. Um, no I'd completely forgotten that where, I was, where my commentary position was, there was a pillar between me and that goal where the penalty was taken at. And I'd have to wait to see what came out the other side as to what was going on. If it's agonising for you at home, bear in mind that when that cross comes in, I can see the cross, I can see the man meet it, because of the location of the pillar here at Griffin Park, I can't see what happens until it comes out the other side of the pillar. So thankfully, on the other side of the pillar that time was uh, Neil Sullivan gathering a football in his hands. And one of those 
was the the right Phillips sort of well, what was given as a dive by the referee. But did he hit the post as well? He hit the post in the first half, yeah. Which was again out of nothing as a long, long kick downfield, and then he latched onto a flick on and just nudged it past Sullivan. It hit the post, and then McCoon cleared. Yeah. Um, the, the second half, the dive, like watching it back on at the time, Chris, who was co-commentator, was convinced it was a dive. He said it was a, a very obvious dive. Phillips is in behind Spur. If he can find some space here, tries to go across. McCoon appeals for the foul, and the referee has decided that instead it is a dive by Bradley Wright Phillips it's inside I the box. I don't know if box. you can see that because of the post, but that I was a, really no, one of the most horrendous dives. <laughs> the way he's, he's come into the box and he's took a heavy touch and he just jumped to the floor and. Well, thankfully, we've got a half-decent referee today and he knows what he's doing. And But the view I have on watching it back on video is I thought it was a pen. I can't believe it. I oh, can't I believe think, it was um, yeah. I've heard you say that a few times, yeah. And I, I, I think, I, I mean, I mentioned it to, to you before, before we recorded this, but um, I think that you've got to watch the, the reaction of the home fans um, who were right next to it. And they, they, they weren't up in arms about it not being given. So... I think that that's quite a telling indicator. Do you think that it kind of ruined football for you? <laughs> In what way? I mean, you know, we're all kind of like avoiding kind of getting to the getting to the point, really. But like, you know, it's that game line represents so much to me because, you know, if anyone kind of ever questioned football, you know, the point of football, like what football can be, if anyone ever questioned that, like it's like. You know, here you have this thing that's kind of bottled, you know, bottled lightning, I suppose that's the, that's the phrase, isn't it? I mean, you know, like your commentary is like, I mean, it's just one of the most, I mean, how many people have heard it? Do you know what I mean? It's not, you know, 66, it's not World Cup final, but like, it's everything that the football's supposed to be, you know, like, and everything the football can make you feel. And I, I'm not sure I'll ever feel like that again. I'm not sure how I can feel like that again. I've definitely, I've definitely had like experiences of football since that I've loved and, you know, but it's more, you know, I mean, you know, until until the shootout, I felt a little bit like that at Charlton in the playoffs. You know, I was having a great old time, and that game was doing its best to sort of, you know, write a crazy narrative. But like, I feel a little bit like football is about chasing a high now. <laughs> I think it's always like that, though. It's always those. Those moments. The difference for me is that the difficulty for me over the, the Brentford game is that for all the other footballing highs, the moments that are up there like that, and I think of both with Rovers, think of like, you know, cars, the game at Stoke's come back into the league, um, the cup runs and things like that, plus the moments of experience with following Wales on the international level, the big moments there, I've I've been there amongst the fans going nuts with the people I'm close to and really experiencing it. And even Charlton last season, you know, with, with, the, with, his, with yourselves. For that Brentford one, I wasn't. That's the weird thing for me because I was having to try and rein in what I was experiencing and, and maintain some composure and try and actually relay what was happening to everyone else. So I, for me, it, it was an incredible moment, an incredible high, but it's, I don't perhaps get the same high, feeling of a high as I have done from other football moments. I mean, the other thing I always think about when I think about that game, like, it was still sort of like uh, 2013 was still sort of the, 
sort of the final flourishes of like me living quite a rock and roll lifestyle. I was out a lot, you know, gigs all the time. I'd been there, I'd been out to sort of like, I had quite a big one the night before. Like I'd actually got tattooed on the day before, um, which has never healed properly. And I'm sure it's because I knocked a load of ink out on the terrace. <laughs> uh, but I remember being like, you know, really, really tired, you know, like really like emotional before it happened because I'd hardly had any sleep and, you know, there was all that as well. And like 2013, like I'd been quite ill that year. I met my wife that year. Oh, I think I'm say me then. Hey, you were. You met me that year, but I suppose the emphasis is probably more on your wife. Yeah, yeah, you might have to live with that. Um, <laughs> it's quite a shift. I mean, actually, to be honest, I probably met Kat like a month and a half after, I think it was, but. You need to get, you need to get that right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, could, I, I could do. I'm trying to. It was, it, was, it was less like. It was less remembering the date and more remembering when the match was. If that makes good, sense. Good, good escape, man. Great escape. But um, I was really, I was really, um, I don't know, it was weird. It's like, sort of felt a bit like the end of something in a way. I see. I mean, Jack, Jack as someone who, who wasn't there at the time it was all going and, and being therefore naturally a sort of a bit more removed than both of us from that moment, is it, how does it rate for you? Is it as seismic a moment for the club? Is it, is it less so? I think that's that's a really interesting question because I think that we've actually been really spoiled for seismic moments over the last 10 years. And if I sort of think back over the sort of conference playoff, uh, the League One playoff, the Johnson Pitt final, the, 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 even the games against Charlton, all moments of sort of quite big magnitude and also all moments in which, well, not, not all, but like in, in certain uh, uh, circumstances, most of them, we, we didn't do it the easy way, or, or at least there was an, an added element of drama in there. So actually, um, the answer should be no. But I look back on that in, in my memory, and I think, actually, no, it is of that magnitude, even though I wasn't there. Um, but I must have played that clip thousands of times, you know, thousands and thousands of times. I'm, I'm actually, I'm seeing a girl at the moment, and, and she has seen that clip more times than I've taken her out for hot dinners. And that says a lot. I mean, it says a lot about me as, as, as a bloke, really, but, but at the same time, it's, it also says a lot about the, the magnitude of, of, of that moment. So, actually, it ranks, it ranks on par. Yeah, I think lockdown does you a bit of a favour there in terms of not being able to take her out for hot dinners, so you're probably excused. It's not as drastic as it might have been. Well, yeah, I wish I could blame it all on uh, lockdown, but actually, she's seen that clip a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, we, we, I've tried to, tried to sort of save it a little bit but we've we've naturally edged towards that moment purely because as, as James pointed out earlier there were so few other moments in the game worth worth mentioning really here's one question before well, we no, do go there do you think as a you know try to be objective but do you think as a moment the Watford game is better oh. I I don't think the Watford one is better and my reasoning is that I think I'm right in saying both clubs had a... It wasn't the very end of the game, or it wasn't the end of the tie. Wasn't there something that both clubs had a, another chance off the back of it? Well, I don't know. I need to check. But I feel like it wasn't as drastic a swing in that game as ours was. I mean, when, when, Deeney, if, if, when Deeney jumps in the crowd, it's unbelievable. Like, 
Yeah, but like I'm just thinking about that. They have got the benefit of being at home, so it looks like a much bigger reaction to it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Rather than just having one end of the ground going ballistic, (laughs) all four sides that you can see on camera when that Watford moment happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, so the answer's no. Yeah, bog off Watford. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's impossible to be objective, so it's not new. Yeah, totally. That was the biggest challenge you've ever put to us. <laughs> so was it, was it this, this moment featuring your beloved team or was it these other guys? Yeah, it was good though. It was good. Yeah, fair play. It was. So last year for the fans, the 100th issue of the fans, I, I interviewed um, James Coppinger around the, the penalty instance. So I think it's good to get, get his input on this. And, and, you know, obviously at the point, it's awarded. He doesn't know how things are going to pan out. He doesn't know that it's him that we're going to be celebrating off the back of this penalty. It's probably the furthest thing from his mind. So when I when I interviewed him last uh, last year, I sort of asked him, you know, what's going through his mind at the moment of that penalty, and he, and he gave us quite a uh, well, certainly an unexpected thing to be thinking of at that time. How did you feel about final game when they when they got when Brentford got the penalty? Do you think that were it done or? Must have done. Oh, massively. <laughs> um, yeah, I remember. <laughs> I thought I should tell this story. I will tell it anyway. But I remember being in Toys R Us and um, we just bought. I think it was a goal for the kids. Yeah. So, you know the goals you buy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the woman hadn't charged us for something, so I'd literally walked out the shop and she'd not charged us for one of the goals, and I was thinking. Like, I'm going to have to go back and tell her it. And we ended up not going back. Mm. So as soon as that penalty got given, she was like, I, I was like, oh, my God. That was because I never took that goal back. <laughs> I swear to God, I was like, oh, my God, I should have took that goal back. Like, that's exactly why this penalty's happened. So I'm stood on the edge of the box thinking about, like, I should have took that goal back. Um, and then, like you say, it was just, it was just unbelievable. Mm. Like, what happened after that was almost like, you couldn't write it. Oh. Hitting the bar. I, I couldn't believe you give a penalty, to be honest. Um, it, was like, it was I thought, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. But then it was just like, you know, once that whistle went for the penalty, everything just becomes like, it's almost like somebody, it's an out-of-body experience. Yeah. You're like, you stood there thinking things like that and then thinking, oh my God, like, it just goes too quick and then all of a sudden I'm turning around and Billy's got the ball yeah. I'm thinking, just run. Yeah. Like, there's a chance he can pass it and then, yeah, like, watching it, every time I watch it back, it's just, oh my God, this yeah. is unbelievable. Glad you didn't try and hit it first time. <laughs> <laughs> I just asked that a lot, but yeah, definitely. It took a bounce, didn't it? It did take a bounce and I just thought, you know what, I've got, I've got a chance of taking a touch and yeah. yeah, it was just and again from that moment everything just stopped and yeah, it's 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 you can't yeah, you can't legislate for yeah. things like that. It's just Is there a there were a story around that you'd had a a bit of disagreement with Billy in yeah, the week for not time. passing enough yeah. or something like that. Yeah, Billy never used to he's typical striker, selfish yeah. and never used to pass to me. We we were at it all the time. Um and like when I was running alongside him, I'm thinking there's no way he's going to pass me <laughs> the ball. Um, and then I was—I think that's why I took a touch because yeah. I was surprised that he passed yeah, it yeah. to me. So, um, but yeah, it's yeah, it was—it's was ironic that Billy had that chance to pass it to me. Yeah. He did. 
Have you uh, have you watched it back much? Yeah, every every so often when people put it on and yeah. it comes up the other day it was on I think on on something. Yeah. Um and yeah, watching it back, like them sort of moments stick with you forever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Absolutely. whether you were there, whether you were like I was building a house at the time and all mm. I was living in a caravan and all my family were in the caravan and obviously they were like listening to it and then like you said the caravan was literally <laughs> shaking with about 20 people in it yeah. Um, so yeah it doesn't matter whether you were involved in the game whether you were watching it whether you were at the game yeah. like them sort of moments but I suppose it doesn't matter whether you if you were a Doncaster fan no yeah like cause it happened to to Watford yeah, didn't it after yeah so it's like them sort of moments in football are yeah. a few and far between yes yeah, so that was that was James Coppinger speaking about how he felt at the time yeah not not the most obvious thing to be going through your mind in that moment is uh you know your your financial obligation to uh to a toy conglomerate but but there you go yeah i think i mean actually just if you re-watch that clip it's quite sweet thinking of of him down there in the moment thinking of toys r us i think that's that, that that's a brilliant moment i mean he's you know he's, he's obviously he wasn't responsible for for, for what happened, he might have been responsible for that conglomerate's eventual demise, but <laughs> that's had nothing to do with uh, uh, what was going on. But I think it's quite sweet, and actually, it's probably something that we all relate to. You know, I think that I've been in, in several moments where if I'd have done this, and if I maybe bought that big issue, or if I'd have done this, we'd have been faring better. But um, I think it's quite sweet, yeah. So, that I mean, that was Coppinger's feeling at the moment the, the penalty was awarded. You've both sort of touched on your your feeling already, James. You were you, you were sort of thinking everything was over, and then suddenly we're, we're drawn back into it from the back of the stand. Jack, you had absolutely no idea what was going on. I mean, I'm not sure I actually saw even saw the ball go in, just because of the way that terrace is steeped. Yeah, and there is yeah. like from when it goes in. I mean, there's there's probably there's probably two minutes, three minutes that I can't really tell you what happened. I'm not like I'm. I'm not at the back of the stand anymore, and I'm at the. Yeah. You know, I'm sort of near the front. Um, like I say, I think I sort of fell, stroke glided, stroke floated down the terrace. But I was like, you know, for the celebrations, I was right on the wall because I remember. To be honest, I remember some of the Brentford students being absolute rotters because you, you would imagine a lot of them are fans as well. Yeah. But I remember being like right on the front and kind of not really having any idea kind of how I got there, which is pretty magic. Dean's there trying to hold it up, keeps up in the air, keeps up in the air, high boots on the challenge, as appeals and it's a penalty. Referee has given a penalty, but a high boot in the Rovers penalty area by McComb, I think, it is a penalty to Brentford. Ball's just bouncing around in the box for a long time there, as people tried to hook it clear, get a toe on, don't know, something. In the end, someone's put a boot up there. We think it's McComb. He's caught the Brentford man. He's gone down. And referee Michael Oliver's pointed to the spot for the penalty. By the letter of the law, it's exactly what it is. But it's a harsh one to face. The coach commented um, after it went, you know, did the rounds a bit afterwards, saying that um, they couldn't believe how calm I was in sort of stating that the penalty had been given and talking in the build-up to it. But I think the reason for that was I just assumed they were going to score it. And I just sort of resigned myself to the fact that there's no drama here now. They're going to score this. We're going to go into the playoffs. And that's how it's going to work. So it was only like 
I think I commented very, there was a long delay before the panels we touched on while they debated, as you mentioned, Jack, while they debated who was taking it. And I was struggling to see because everyone in the stand was standing up and I had to sort of, sort of half lie down to see fully around the pillar that was blocking my view as well. Um, and I just assumed they were going to score. There's, there's, I think you can see the sort of genuine exclamation of surprise when they, when they do miss it. And the, the difficult thing is, like, because I, I, I shout, he's missed it, he's missed it. I think I shouted it twice. But there was every chance they could have dribbled it back in while I was shouting that because it was bouncing around all over the place in the box. And a lot of people who were listening, because obviously it wasn't being screened anywhere at the time, you were either watching or you were listening, or in your case, Jack, you were getting that sort of update from Sky where they sort of half covered it or whatever. A lot of people, the moment I shouted, he's missed it, started celebrating because that meant that was good enough for us. But there's every chance that while they were celebrating, they could have bundled the ball in. And the other thing is, there's a lot of people who were celebrating so much from them missing it, didn't know Rovers had scored or didn't realise Rovers had scored. And that's people who were at the game and listening to the game. I had quite a few emails from people afterwards to the fanzine saying that, you know, they had no idea until like half an hour later that we'd scored or 20 minutes later or whatever because they'd just, they'd either started celebrating the miss or they'd turned it off before the penalty. I know that Rovers were playing the audio from the commentary in the bar at the keep moment. So a lot of people had gathered there to just stand around, not looking at anything but listening, which is quite a weird scenario in itself. Um, and obviously when it missed, you've got a big group of people celebrating the miss. So none of them knew that Rovers had scored until it came up on a screen somewhere else. It's such a weird scenario where things happen in such a rapid succession and such a big swing, as you mentioned before, James, that uh, Jack, sorry, that a lot of people just, a lot of them didn't realise that we'd gone on to score and, and won the league. So it's a penalty to Brentford in the last minute of injury time here. If effectively, if Brentford score this, they will take the last promotion spot off Rovers. And Sullivan stands on his line, so Trotter puts it down to take it left-footed. Drives up to hit it, does so. It's off the ball, yes! away. he's missed it, he's missed the penalty, it's away. They've cleared it, they can't get it back in the box, they're trying to dribble it forward and Rovers have cleared their lines. Trotter's penalty is wasted and now Brentford's away, in. he's crossing halfway, he's got acres to run into, he's all alone. Tries to yeah! Cabbage will slot it home, yeah! and he does so. Cabbage has turned it into the empty net, it's promotion to Doncaster Rovers. Can you believe what's happened in this last minute here? A wasted penalty from Trotter. It's off the bar. Rovers are broken clear through Painter. And Copper just turned it away. And it is absolute bedlam to our left here in Brentford. The Rovers players are in amongst the fans at that end. Brentford are out to a man on the floor. Yeah, it's, it, 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 I mean, it really is remarkable. That, that I mean, I don't know what the time count is from penalty to, to Copper just scoring, but... From playoffs to champions in in, 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 in what well, let's just assume a, a minute um, is is yeah I mean to James's point it's probably something that we'll never see again and it's probably not high but still you sort of think actually if anyone could do that it'd be us because we do do stuff like that sometimes you know and uh, and it's just uh, just a tremendous way of doing it. Yeah. I feel like that should be the title of your memoir from playoffs to champions. The Jack Lee story. <laughs> yeah, in a minute. Yeah, yeah. The man who finished in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think um, as well. I'm, I've always been super interested in, you know, like you know, someone who writes for a living and, you know, sort of is always trying to think of ways to like express feelings and emotions. I'm always sort of like dead interested in when words don't really do it. Yeah. So you know, yeah. it's things like the intonation in voices and. 
Um, and there is, you know, I don't know. I think, I mean, you might not remember this, Glenn, because you don't, people don't see themselves like this, but, you know, it was like the commentary at the time was quite important to you. And I think that there was probably a degree of just wanting to do a good job. But it's, A, it's remarkable that you've got a document of that moment and how you felt. But whilst you did hold it together, I, I can't help thinking that I wish more, you know, more commentary was like that because it was, there's a bit where it's so raw at the end. You know, you are, you're saying the words you need to say, but you're saying them in a, in a way that's, it's, to be honest, it's a real, I mean, this is a total, I mean, we could have a different podcast on this, but it's sort of my real problem with like modern commentary is that, you know, when I go back and I listen to like, you know, Motson or whatever, like, I hear so much in his voice, and I just don't hear that in like modern football commentators. So yeah, I basically just compared you to John Moxon. Well, basically, I ran out of breath. I think rather than stop speaking, because it, it it was uh, I did time it, Jack. It was eighteen seconds from the penalty being struck to it being in the net at the other end, um, or from Trot starting his run up or something like that. But I I basically ran out of breath of seconds, and, and Danny, who was co-commentating, sort of stepped in to reiterate that the Bournemouth result had come through and that was going to make us champions. And he had to keep talking for it because I just lo- I momentarily just lost all feeling in my body and I couldn't do anything. I couldn't speak. I was just sat in front of the microphone, just sort of moving my mouth and nothing was happening. So I, had to, I genuinely had to have a minute because just every part of me just, just genuinely went, went normal. I couldn't do anything. It was, it was such a weird, weird thing. And just being wedged there and not being able to celebrate for ages. There's a bit of a weird edit from the, in the commentary, there's a bit towards the end where I say, Chris Donald in the press box, he's disappearing because he's got a job to do down there. He goes. So Chris's job was, he had to go down to pitch, had to do a few interviews and stuff like that. But his main job was, you know, the big banners they hold up saying like, we are going up or we are champion. He had to take those down to the pitch because they were under our feet for the duration of the game. And I just... I just didn't want to know that they were there. Like I remember going to the seat and seeing these bits of like rolled up material that they brought down from Doncaster. And we're like, well, they can we not put them somewhere else? We, we ain't got much room as it is. And Chris is like, you don't want to know what they are. I don't, I don't want to talk about what they are because he didn't want to jinx. Yeah. So like, you know, had, had things not gone our way, we had, we are champions and we are going up banners under our feet. That I, th- I imagine the lads would have, tossed onto a verge on the side of the M1 somewhere on the way home. I always, I always wonder what happens to stuff like that. I always, I also always wonder where, what happens to footballers that wear the T-shirt with a message underneath and don't score as well. Like, what happens to... They should make a museum of all the ones that didn't happen. <laughs> well, it's like, when, it's like when players get caught out, uh, you know, kind of wearing a shirt for a transfer they think is going to go through and then, and then it doesn't go through, you know. Or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I can't remember who it was. They had their bus ready. I mean, I bet you Liverpool, I bet there's a whole load of... Oh, with like the open-top bus ready to go and announcing closed roads and that kind of thing. I bet somewhere in Anfield there is an entire room with champions printed on things that may well never <laughs> see the light of day. There should always be a cutaway on the next day to just a very sad, lonely man slowly taking uh, ribbons off an open-top bus. <laughs> yeah, because slowly back into the garage. I mean, you presume that Brentford had banners there as well. I mean, they must have done, right? So yeah, was, you would think there'd just be one in the tunnel that whoever needed it would grab it. 
but no, for some whatever reason, there was one each. And <laughs> was under my feet. Brilliant. Uh, I did ask before the podcast, before we started recording this, I asked sort of fans, anyone uh, followers on Twitter, if they had any specific memories, particularly from people who weren't there at the game, because that, that intrigued me. And she's picking through a couple of hours. Chris, Chris Kidd, who has written for the fanzine in the past, that used to be a regular writer for the fanzine, he was uh, playing cricket and he was next into bat for the batting team. And he had to go into bat just as Brentford got the penalty. <laughs> so, I don't know. He kind of put in a very good inning. But he does say, actually does say, I came back 10 minutes later. So he was obviously distracted while at the crease somewhat. Yeah, uh, I just stood back from the, from the wickets and just said, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> There's people who are watching it in New Zealand, in, in a bar in the Philippines, celebrating on their own uh, in the street at sort of stupid hours of the morning when they, when they found out what happened. A lot of people who, who um, turned it off because they thought that was it. There's a guy, Ross, who was like you, James, was a bit late in getting a ticket, Ross Dryden. He arrived at the ground at 7am and basically circled it until kickoff, hoping to find a ticket going spare. And eventually got one in the home end, uh, right by the Rovers' dugouts. I wonder what he was expecting to get at 7am. Yeah, I should probably... That's when the touts are out, isn't it? In force. (laughs) Eight hours before the game. (laughs) The early bird catches the the scalp ticket, you know the saying. (laughs) Yeah. I was at the uh, I was at the Arsenal game at Bellevue in the Arsenal end. Really? No way. Yeah. Only time I ever went in the pen, like you know. How did, did you celebrate, or did you? Well, not um, the winning. I mean, my more was going in front. I had some I had some full on uh, bite marks on my uh, knuckles, like <laughs> as Jack says, we have been spoiled. Just a couple of others of, of people who were following it remotely. James Pepper, who, who you know as well, James, we've, we've sat with him at a couple of games in the past. He, uh, he was looking after music shop in Chelmsford because there was a large ukulele festival on. Different, different environment there for him. But he, he ran out into the high street celebrating in front of some very confused ukulele, fest, ukulele players <laughs> at the tournament of the game. Uh, I must say that he, he actually, the other Christmas, uh, fixed my ukulele for a very reasonable price. If any popular stand listeners have a ukulele that they would like fixing, uh, then contact James Pepper through the usual address. Uh, there's someone else who was, I think, in a university library. I can't find them now on the on the. I oh, know I can't. Jacob Goodwin. He was um, watching university library, so had to sort of do the equivalent sort of bite on the knuckle celebration that you do in the Arsenal end, James. While uh, trying to go crazy without making a sound is uh, is a challenge. Trying to go crazy without making a sound. That's got to be like a Martin McCutcheon song or something. <laughs> I think on that bombshell we need to end because I feel a bit emotionally spent. I think you're right, mate. I think you're right. Um, so there we go. That's, that's Brentford well and truly uh, revisited. As ever, we're interested to hear your thoughts. Those of you who um, haven't got in touch yet, let us, let us know if you've enjoyed this, this trip down memory lane, if it's brought back the same nerves and tension as the original time, or if you've got your own unique memories, or if you've got a ukulele that needs fixing, uh, get in touch with us at Viva on Twitter. Uh, I mean, it's a bit hard to predict anything in, in life at the moment, but we do hope to be back with you again uh, uh, the last Friday of next month with, uh, with episode 18. Don't know what that's going to be on yet. We'll, we'll flash something out between us. And do subscribe to Podular Stand on your preferred podcast provider. We're on most of them. And um, you'll get each episode the moment they're released by doing that. And if you've got a few minutes, just try and give us a, a nice positive 
review on the app or site that you're listening to us on it it helps us to reach a few more people uh so there we go thanks then to uh, jack and james for for joining us anytime Silent applause is great for radio, James. <laughs> I actually, I made some noise. Okay. I thought Jack was going to join in, but he didn't, so. <laughs> I'm, I'm, serving, I'm serving it for our carers at eight. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you all for listening, and until next month, we'll see you. Oi, oi. So I'm going to play the clip at that point. Why I, man? It was a really good game. <laughs> That's definitely going on the outtakes at the end.